Drax is the largest provider of renewable electricity in the UK and plays a critical role in ensuring a secure energy system. The company has plans to invest billions in new infrastructure, such as bioenergy with carbon capture and storage, which will create thousands of jobs, whilst also delivering the energy needed by homes and businesses up and down the UK. Discover more at Drax.com. Hello and welcome to Coffee House Shots, the Spectator's daily politics podcast. I'm Katie Pauls and I'm joined by Isabel Hardman and Fraser Nelson. So Rishi Sunak is on his tour of hard truths, saying they're unsayable, or at least things that he claims his predecessors uh, didn't want to be as honest with the public about as he can be. Isabel, we've had the net zero pivot, a delay to the car ban, boilers being phased out, and next up could be HS2. What do we know? Yeah, so this has obviously been something that's been a matter of debate in the Conservative Party ever since uh, HS2 was, I suppose, conceived as a policy and and then developed. And there are lots of different reasons why Conservative MPs are anxious about it. If it goes through their constituency but doesn't stop, they tend to be cross about that more widely. And this is um, where Rishi Sunak's concerns lie, the spiralling cost of the project against a uh, backdrop of it being much less important as a um, as a mode of transport uh, and indeed actually the, the case was never really made as to whether it was a fast line or a capacity line or what it was supposed to do so it, it's not a huge surprise that we now have a um, a review of hs2 and um, former transport secretary uh, grant shap saying that it would be um, incredible and i think he used the word crazy uh, not to review uh, such an expensive project and potentially cut little bits off the uh, off the journey. So whether it's uh, refusing to commit to building HS2 all the way to Manchester, which is what Rishi Sunak has been saying, or whether it's uh, having it stopping, I think, in Acton rather than um, at Euston, which was the original plan for its terminus in London, that is where you've got to. But you've obviously had a huge pushback from mostly ex-politicians or uh, unsurprisingly regional mayors so Andy Burnham mayor of Greater Manchester has been doing a tour of the broadcast studios this morning saying that it would be an abandonment of the promise of levelling up um, and making the point that the Elizabeth line has only reasonably recently opened in London uh, and doing what Andy Burnham does best which is contrasting the investment in transport infrastructure in London with that in the north but you also have George Osborne teaming up with uh, Lord Heseltine, not Ed Balls, as he's uh, more commonly doing at the moment, to write uh, in The Times, saying that it would be an act of huge economic self-harm. Now, obviously, HS2 was one of the big toys that, as Chancellor, George Osborne uh, was particularly keen on. So it's not a surprise that you're getting a pushback from from that sort of wing of the Conservative Party. But it it is an interesting decision, shall we say, to make uh, when the Conservatives are about to travel to Manchester for their own party conference where they are going to be talking about how committed they are to levelling up. Fraser, let's talk about the costs here. Ultimately, the Sunday Telegraph reported at the weekend the cost of the rail scheme could have increased by another £8 And The last official estimate was around £71 When it was first announced, it was was a much lower figure. So do you think, to those saying to Rishi Sunak, such as George Osborne and and the others that Isabel just outlined, you you have to stick with this, is there a price where they would start to say no? 
Well, it was first announced almost exactly 15 years ago. I remember it was the about this time of year, people were getting ready for Tory party conference. And the main um, announcement from George Osborne was that he would not proceed with a third runway at Heathrow. Instead, an incoming Conservative government would do HS2, and it would, they'd do it for £20 billion. Now, by some estimates, the real figure is closer to £100 billion right now. And with anybody building anything, the question is, at what point do you start again and think, well, hang on a minute, is it still worth what it was? We've already spent £20 and I think not a single inch of track has been laid. Now, what I'd be interested to see here is whether Keir Starmer and Rachel Reeves are going to dispute this. Because what happened after Osborne announced it in 2008 was that Andrew Adonis, who's then Labour Transport Secretary, he then um, jumped on this bandwagon or or, or high-speed rail, call it, and said that he wanted to do this as well, and claimed it as a Labour project. So you had both Labour and the Tories wedded to this commitment, neither of them wanting to subsequently admit that they'd got this badly wrong and that the whole thing was going to cost four or five times as much and simply wasn't going to have the benefits that they imagined. So Rishi Sunak is and we'll look at mode now for these kind of undead policies. We did a spectator cover story, I think, in 2012, 11 years ago, declaring HS2 dead. And we weren't quite right. It was, it was undead. The rationale had collapsed at the time. Every cabinet member, pretty much, the majority of cabinet members from 2012 onwards have thought that HS2 was, had collapsed, its rationale had died, and it would be a matter of time before it would collapse. But what we see now is that things are kept going because nobody wants to quite bite the bullet and admit it was a mistake. So that's why Sunak is thinking, OK, I am now going to do what my predecessors should have done but didn't do and say, not that the whole thing's off, but we're going to stop it at Birmingham, that we're not going to do the, the 2B section, the sort of the, the, the crew to Manchester thing, and that we're going to just take a, a step back. Now, he'll be, of course, accused of betraying the North by Andy Burnham, but I don't think we're going to see Starmer or Rachel Reef saying that they would actually press on with the Andrew Adonis original plan. Because what Sunak is doing is creating billions of pounds of extra headroom for the Labour government, and let's face it, right now, 90% chance it will be a Labour government, to spend money in the priorities of its choice. So I imagine that while they're slagging off Rishi Sunak, Reeves and, um, and Starmer will be punching the air, delighted. You know, when Ed Bowles was in the last 18 months of a um, of a Labour government, he was laying landmines to trip up the Tories for when they get away. Sunak is doing the opposite. He's doing the weeding. And I think Labour should be very grateful. Now on that phrase, a, a poll from Delta Polls has just come out and the Labour leaders narrowed to a mere 16 points. So, you know, times oh, are... Yes. Times are... <laughs> By the way, I, I should say that, you know, it's not clear to me if Sunak is doing this because he thinks he's going to pick up political credit because he's taking a short-term political hit. Nobody wants to be the man to axe or to stop these great projects. He was doing it because he thinks he'll be thanked further down the road. Now, why would you do this in the last year of your premiership? It could well be that he thinks that he's only got a one-in-five chance and that one-in-five chance lies in being able to credibly say to the public, I am a man for making long-term decisions and the Labour Party isn't. Or, by the way, there's another theory, which I was thinking to myself over the weekend. Maybe he thinks he's doomed anyway, but at least wants to go out doing what he thinks was right for the country. So there could be an element here of him not really doing this in realistic expectation of being thanked for dropping the net zero 2030 pledge for 
being thanked for a saying to Manchester and Birmingham, no, you're not going to get the HS2 we promised you. Maybe he's doing it because he thinks that once he got fired, at least he got fired doing the right things. Um, Isabel, I suppose on uh, Sunak's motives, uh, when he gave that net zero press conference, it was quite interesting. They kept saying, you know, this is not political. This is not a political decision. I'm trying to suggest that his motivations were pure where others had lacked perhaps that purity. Is there such a thing as politics as a non-political decision? No, and I also think, I mean, I, I, I really object to the use of the word politics in a pejorative sense because... Politics is the business of getting things done and you have political parties as vehicles for doing that and no one's come up with, with a better way of, of um, a group of people being able to achieve these things. And I find it incredibly frustrating when particularly the MPs on the campaign trail but also prime ministers say we need to take the politics out of this because what they want to suggest to the public is that they want to sort of rise above the petty partisanship of kind of Westminster life. And, you know, there's plenty that's wrong with Westminster life. But politics should be the good part of it because it's actually the decision-making, the responsibility, the, the scrutiny. And generally, the result of taking the politics out of something is that you give it to a quango uh, with an unelected head or a royal commission if you don't want to have a decision made at all. Uh, and that royal commission takes five years. It's headed by some unelected boffin and then you or whoever happens to be in government at that point doesn't make the decision. So the idea that, you know, this is this is not a political decision. I mean, what does he mean? Does he mean this isn't a petty decision? This isn't a short term decision. This isn't a party management decision. The idea that, that you know, politics can cover all of those things. But I, I really wish politicians wouldn't contribute to the poisoning of that word when there are many perfectly other good terms that that describe more precisely what they mean, which is generally sort of this isn't internal party management. Now, in terms of whether this is about internal party management, I mean, as you've revealed in your recent columns, Katie, Sunak wants to spend this conference season saying, I'm the hard truths man, I take difficult decisions, I don't just say things that are going to keep you happy, which you know, th this is part of the sort of framing, you know, net zero, I'm not just going to go along with what the Green Lobby says. I'm going to talk about what's good for the country. Um, but it's a little bit hard to take that seriously when he dodges other decisions, for instance, on planning, actually, because he knows that he'll have a Tory rebellion um, if he tries to reform the absolutely mad planning system we have in order to build more homes. So, he, you know, it's sort of we'll take hard decisions, just not those ones. And just finally, Fraser, the other, I think, development this weekend has been Tory MPs and ministers warning that Brexit is not safe in Labour's hands since Keir Starmer's been talking about closer relations with the EU. Now, I think it seemed on Friday that even Keir Starmer thought he had potentially gone a step too far when comments resurfaced of his you know, tour to Montreal about divergence. And he said, we wouldn't want to diverge with the EU. He's been very clear that the UK will make its own rules. Do you think this will be a lucrative attack line for the Tories if they can almost plant that seeds of Keir Starmer said, you know, one thing on Brexit, can you trust him and much else? It's logical for the Tories to attempt it, because Keir Starmer, of course, wanted a second referendum at one stage. He was opposed to Brexit, as were most of his front bench. So the Tories, their main hope at the next election is managing to cling on somehow to that Brexit coalition of voters that Boris Johnson assembled. And therefore, it's, it behoves them to say, OK, look, Brexit is under threat by this Labour government. It's an obvious attack line. 
I think Labour has said that it will stay out of a single market, out of the customs union, out of the ECJ. Now, if those three boxes are ticked, it's difficult to say they're edging back towards the EU. But there's another test here, what Boris Johnson called the tractor beam of the EU. I think that was a Star Trek analogy, how Britain will be caught in a tractor beam and should somehow stay away. I think what we can see now is that the EU um, has been pretty harsh with Britain with the amount of bureaucracy it requires now for to send a parcel to the EU, for example. There's a lot of bureaucracy that doesn't have to be there. Now, the EU will be in a position to say, look, we'll cut down this bureaucracy in exchange for X, Y and Z. So they would, there, I think there is a deal to be done with a more sympathetic Labour government. It wouldn't be rejoining, but it certainly would mean getting a little bit closer to the EU's orbit in exchange for less bureaucracy. What we can also see um, with Sunak's recent trip to India is an alternative orbit being put over there. That's the attempt to build this Indo-Pacific tilt, so a free, a free trade deal with Japan, with one coming with India, one about to be done yet again with Korea. And the argument there is, look at the AUKUS deal with nuclear submarines in Australia, that Britain is now getting itself hooked up to the fastest growing part of the world, not of this lorotic local EU. So you can see two competing visions there. One is what Boris Johnson would call the global Britain vision. This isn't a phrase that gets used now because under Johnson it was seen as a joke to mean absolutely nothing. But you can see the, um, that vision, the Indo-Pacific tilt vision, versus getting closer to the EU. I think that's going to be Starmer's foreign policy objective. I wouldn't call it rejoining, but I would call it a choice of priorities. And I think a lot of people who still think that Brexit was a disaster would very much welcome anything that can be done by a new Labour government to move Britain closer to the EU. And I think there's all sorts of informal deals that can be done to that end. Thank you, Fraser. Thank you, Isabel. And thank you for listening.